Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And recently we talked about, you know, uh, encouraging your pastor, coming alongside of them, showing that we care for them, and, and on and on as, you know, Power to Pastor Appreciation Month. But the 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 thing that I want to I want to do in this episode is I want to talk about why we as Christians shouldn't support false teachers and false pastors, because I I I tried there to get us to understand in that episode, and I'll link to it here in the show notes, but for you. But here here's what I was trying to do. I was trying to show you in that episode what a biblical why we should support biblically qualified pastors. But I, but I understand my audience. I understand that that there's a lot of you that have come out of, um, you know, the New Apostolic Reformation. There's a lot of you that have that have come out of of New Age, and and you have questions. Uh, should I? What kind of pastor should I support? What kind of pastor shouldn't I support? What kind of ministry should I support? And and what kind of ministry shouldn't? And and these are concerns that are that are very valid. Um, you know. Uh, I know that even in in talking about this, I could give the impression that, you know what, well, your pastor doesn't have it all together, so I shouldn't be under any pastor. And that's not what I'm saying either. Every single Christian needs to be under a biblically qualified male pastor. And and as outlined in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But today we're not talking about that. We're talking about why Christians shouldn't support false teachers and false pastors. Uh, Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but innerly are ravenous wolves. And, and the word beware, it means all of us should be alert, but especially shepherds, to identify not just false teaching, but false teachers whose ways are subtle. They're, they're, they're clothing themselves with wool's lamb while they're wolves. And Paul uses the same Greek word for beware in Acts 20, 28 through 29, when he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing uh, the uh, the elect. Now, in order to protect the flock, we need to expose false teachers and minimize the spread of gangrene. And Jesus uses this word in Matthew 16, 6, but he gets more specific when he says, watch and beware of the leaving of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul had the same kind of group in mind on um, the same kind of error in Philippians 3, 2 and three eighteen, when he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then in Philippians 3.18, he says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Of course, we know that famous verse in Romans 6.16.17, which says, Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. Now, to avoid them, we have to know who they are. We have to know what they believe. You can't avoid somebody if you don't know who they are. The idea of, uh, the idea of identifying and avoiding, it shows up in First 
uh, Corinthians 5.11, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.6, 2 Thessalonians 3.14, 2 Timothy 3.5, and 2 John 10. In other words, Christians and shepherds in particular should be discerning and even alert to the behavior and the teaching that dishonors Christ and destroys people and not treat it as casual or even harmless. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, 19-20, Paul went beyond just avoid them to rebuke them publicly. And so speaking of elders who persist in error, he said this very clearly. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses, as for those who persist in sin. And that can be sin of false doctrine or sin of evil behavior. Anyone who does not accept correction, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And then Paul went on to actually name destructive false teachers. 2 Timothy 4.10 says, Demas in love with the present world has deserted me. 2 Timothy uh, 1.15 says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are Philegius and Hermogies. Now, in 1 Timothy 1.19-20, by rejecting this faith and a good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, 2 Timothy 2.17. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. And so Paul names names at least six false teachers that the church uh, should watch out for. And so Jesus and Paul and Luke state that false teaching and destructive behavior are present dangers in the fallen world for the church. Now, all of us, especially shepherds, pastors, should be alert and discerning to identify and in appropriate ways expose false teachers. After all, Ephesians 5.11 says that we're to expose the works of darkness. To protect the flock, we should expose them and minimize the spread of their gangrene, as Paul calls it. Now, in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Paul is talking about how the Corinthians should assess Paul and Cephas and Apollos because the people are choosing sides and boasting in their favorite teacher. He says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 4 through 5, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am thereby, I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one, Paul, Cephas, Apollos, will receive his commendation from God. You see, the best condemnation against the darkness of error is a light of truth. Now, we need to understand what these false teachers believe. We need to understand that we need to be faithful to the word. That's why we need to be reading and studying and meditating on the word of God so that we can expose the works of darkness. So the question is how and when, not if, we are going to call out false teachers. The Bible calls for wisdom to be sure here rather than telling us who and when and how. So the question we ask is this, how can we best in our situation with our gifts and our responsibilities, with the influence that the Lord has given us, help the people believe and live the most truth, biblical truth? And how can we protect the most people from destructive beliefs and behaviors? Now, not all of you are, are going to have a ministry where you are speaking out against false teachers, meaning that you may not have a public platform as in a podcast. You may not have a blog. You may not have a, a formal uh, voice or position, of it, but that doesn't mean that you're not to do it. You can learn from those who are doing it. You can learn a, a lot from them, but 
you, all of us, regardless of whether we have a podcast, a radio show, a pulpit, or whatever, all of us are called to this. All of us are to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. First uh, Peter 3.15, we are to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have, and to do it with gentleness and respect. Second Timothy 2, 24 and 25 very clearly tells us that we are to correct opponents with gentleness. So here are five factors to consider when deciding whether to name a false teacher publicly. First, the seriousness and the deceitfulness of the air. The size of the audience, second, is it growing? Third, the duration of their ministry. Do they make one blender or are they continually doing it? Fourth, the, the vulnerability of the people whom you're responsible for. Fifth, the role that you have have in influencing shepherds who really need to be discerning for who the false teachers are. And when you name a false teacher, it's best to do it in a setting where you do more than name drop. You explain the error. You give reasons for rejecting it. You communicate complexities. You set a tone of longing for the truth and love. You're not just slinging mud. Let me, let me stop here and explain myself what I mean. So what I'll do is I'll start by, and, you, and many of you very clearly have seen this before, so uh, I'm not saying anything that you haven't seen me do because this is what I do. I'm just explaining the thought process behind it. So what I'll do is I'll start with explaining who the person is, who they are. What, why does that matter? It matters so that you understand who they are. What, what have they done with their life? What, what has led them to this position? That, that's my thought process there. Then, then um, you know, what have they written a book? What is this book? What is the influence? How, how far is it spread? Many people don't know these things. They don't know who the person is. They don't know the influence. So I always make sure I include this. The, the third thing that I do is is pretty clear. I, I talk about what they teach. Here I want to use, I want to use direct statements. So I want to use their articles. I want to use their books. I really prefer, if I can, to find audio or video since, you know, this is an audio and a video podcast. That is much easier. And by the way, I just want you to know, I am much more comfortable with you hearing in your own words uh, and from your own earbuds, I mean, these people's, uh, the words that come out of these people's mouth. And and the reason for that is, to be clear, um, you know, I don't want, I don't want to, A, I don't want to misrepresent anybody. I, I'm, I strive not to, but, you know, by, by God's grace, I don't think I do. But B, it, it, it's a credibility thing in my eyes. I know that you guys trust me and I take that very seriously, but at the end of the day, it's easier if you yourself hear that person or you see what they're saying as they talk coming out of their own mouth. So you can hear it, you can see it, it's easier to believe. Uh, it's just a basic fact of, of our psychology as human beings, okay? And I understand that. But but here's the thing. Sometimes that, that isn't possible. And I'll always try to be honest, uh, you know, especially... Um, you know, on contending for the word, which mainly, mainly, by the way, if you haven't subscribed to contending for the word, that's really where uh, Don and Doreen and I and and some others are uh, talking about more about false teaching. We're still going to talk about things on on this podcast, um, but uh, mainly over there on contending for the word. So I want to encourage you to go there. But uh, so so we talk about who the person is. We want to talk about, you know, you know what the influence is. We want to talk about what they believe. We want to accurately represent them. By the way, just a note on that. Some people will take clips and audio of a person 
and they'll just, you know, give 15, 20 seconds. But what you'll notice is I, I try to give a whole segment uh, of what they say because I think it's important so that you understand the context. Now, I also understand, the, and you need to understand, I can't give the whole talk that they gave. So I am being selective in that sense. But if I'm going to comment on a particular section in a, in a clip or a video, I want to use as much of that section as I can, even if uh, at some point I'm cutting that off. Uh, that doesn't mean that I, I'm trying to unfairly represent that person or misrepresent them in any way. And if anybody ever felt that I was misrepresenting somebody, you should definitely email me, davidserventsofgrace.org, because this is something I take very, very seriously. I don't want to engage in any personal attack. It's not personal. It's not, uh, it's not a, a, an attack on them personally. In fact, it's not personal at all to them. It has to do with talking about what their theology is and what they're talking about. And many people get this so mixed up. They think, you know what? You're personally attacking them. You're personally attacking them. Here, here at Servants of Grace, I take that charge very seriously. And it's something I want to talk about just as we're talking about my thought process here. It, it, and it's, the reason is, is the reason that I want to help you understand who the person is, the per reason I want you to understand, you know, their influence, the reason that I want you to understand and, and to hear their, out of their own words and, and to see it in, on video, if you watch the video episodes, it is this, that I want you to be able to hear and to see their own words so that you don't think that I'm misrepresenting them, that, that I'm mischaracterizing the argument that they're making because the, the, the whole thing is when you present evidence for what somebody says, you're doing so to accurately and fairly interact with what they've said. And by the way, this, this is something that we have to do, um, you know, I did in, in my academic work as a student for 12 years. For 12 years, I, I spent time writing papers, interacting with ideas, and, and I, uh, even, at a, even at secular institutions, and then in Bible college and seminary. Uh, this is something I've done in the 10 plus years now that I've been out of seminary, uh, interacting with ideas, not, not per, trying to personally attack somebody, but to interact with ideas and beliefs and thoughts uh, that go contrary to the biblical worldview. This goes to the very heart of this show. Uh, to equip you in a biblical worldview so that you can speak the truth and love to people uh, that that need it. So so that's some of the process. And, and, and then, very clearly, I want to not only help you uh, understand who they are, not only want you to understand their, you know, their influence and, and what they believe and why that matters, but I want you then to be able to understand the positive case. The positive case. What does scripture say? What does good theology say? So what does the church say? And then practically, how is this to be worked out? Uh, so so the, I think that's really important. And I also think at the end, usually, most importantly, I usually call people to come out and there I get more specific. Uh, because, you know, false doctrine absolutely harms people. It harms people. Sound doctrine always matters. It matters because doctrine is teaching, and teaching comes from the Word of God. And so when people are led astray into false doctrine, they need to be called out from false doctrine. They need to understand this person is a false teacher. They need to understand the influence of this false teacher. They need to understand the false teaching of that false teacher. And they need to understand the biblical case 
uh, there's the biblical and theological case for, for why they should stand against that teacher. And then they need to be called to repent and to stop following that teacher. Or they need to be called, as I do often, I call them to repent and believe in Christ because maybe they're not saved. Or I call uh, the Christian, if they're a Christian, I call them to, uh, to, to repentance, as in to continue to repent uh, and to come away from those false teachers. And, and, and the reason is, is by, by focusing, by doing this, I'm helping the person understand. Here's the influence. Here's who this person is, because a lot of people don't know. I, I'm, I'm engaging with the ideas and the thoughts uh, with, of the person in a fair, acceptable, very academic way. Um, and, and then I'm showing the positive case. What does the Bible, what does good theologies teach? Uh, this is important so that we can be, uh, have a solid foundation on the truth. Even if people disagree, you know what? They can say, okay, this is, this is the case. Okay. But here is the last part is really important because it's not enough just to leave a person stuck in following that false teacher. They need to know that they need to repent, that they need to turn away and they need to turn to the Lord. They need to trust the word of God uh, that is reliable and trustworthy and sufficient and clear and binding in our lives. So that's kind of my thought process. That's, that's kind of what goes into these episodes. Now, when you name a false teacher, it's best to do it in a setting where you do more than name drop. So you explain the errors we talked about. You give reasons for rejecting it. You interact with their actual statements. You communicate complexities. You set a tone of longing for truth and love, and you're not slinging mud. So let your teaching be so powerful and clarifying the greatness and the beauty of the worth of God's truth that the people listening uh, or watching, they're going to smell air before it even infects their lives. The shape of air is always changing. You can't preach enough negative sermons to stay ahead of it. You can't do enough podcasts. But the thing is, you don't have to. The, the best protection against the darkness of air is a light of truth. Paul just finished his, uh, in, in Romans 16, he just finished his extensive greetings uh, to the Christians in Rome. And in Romans 16, 17, he begins a warning about false teachers. Now, the warning lasts for several verses and seems to come almost out of nowhere as the apostle explains the true gospel that alone is the defense against error. But he does not mention any false teacher specifically until the end of the letter. Paul's apparent sudden turn to the matter of false teachers is not actually sudden at all. We know from his other letters, such as Galatians, that the apostle frequently had to combat preachers of error that had infiltrated the churches to which he wrote. And since Rome was the capital city of the empire, it was inevitable that such teachers would make their way to that important metropolis. And Paul did not want the Christians there to be caught off guard. And as for why Paul does not mention the danger of false teachers until he's almost finished with his letter, some commentators suggest that perhaps it is because they were not yet in the city, and so the concern was not immediately pressing. Now, others speculate that maybe Paul heard about false teachers in Rome only after he had started writing, and so he puts the warning at the end and that because that is where he was in the writing process. Now, the apostle's teaching is the same one that he gives the Ephesian elders, namely be on guard against false teachers who might infiltrate the flock, as he says in Acts 20, 29-31. Now, Paul warns that these false teachers will attempt to divide the church and will introduce obstacles that are contrary to true doctrine. 
And he has serious error in mind here. For the word obstacle in the Greek, it means a spiritual problem that will result in damnation if it takes root in a person's life. The Apostle Paul wants his audience to be careful about those who would divide professing Christians who affirm the true apostolic faith and to look out for those who teach soul-damning doctrine. False teaching was by no means a problem limited to the early church. It is something we face today. We must take care not to divide over non-essential matters, but we can have unity with other professing believers only insofar as they stand for the gospel, as we see in Romans 14, 1 through 15, 7 and Galatians 1, 8 through 9. John Calvin says, It is indeed an impious and sacrilegious attempt to divide the, uh, divide those who agree in the truth of Christ, but yet it is a shameful sophistry to defend under the pretext of peace and unity, a union in lies and impious doctrines. And so no matter how biblically faithful its confession and creeds, no church or denomination is immune from false teachers. If church leaders will not keep watch over their orthodoxy of their ministers, and if the congregations refuse to be on watch for error, it is only a matter of time before falsehood takes root and grows unchecked like a cancer. We're seeing that today. We're seeing that with the rise of biblical and theological literacy, sadly. Now, leaders and lay people alike have the responsibility of making sure their their churches remain united in the truth of the gospel. Very few, if any, false teachers come into the church announcing their plans to lead Christ's uh, sheep astray or proclaiming that they were there to overturn the gospel. History proves that false teachers are often some of the most charismatic individuals you're ever going to meet. They have a way with words. They're able to sound mostly orthodox while denying perhaps subtly particular points that are necessary for faithfulness to our Lord. And if they are confronted about this, they will often make a sweet-sounding appeal to unity, preying on people's inclination to avoid controversy whenever possible. Of course, there is nothing wrong with speaking well or crafting elegant messages or articles or even podcasts. And one of our highest calling as believers, though, is to seek unity among the brethren, as we see in Psalm 133.1. Now, when people lead others astray using smooth talk or they seek unity that does not have truth as its foundation, they are to be avoided, even cast out of the church, as we see in Romans 16.17-18 through 18 and 1 John 2.19. For the good of the body, false teaching cannot be tolerated. Now, Paul's warning about false teachers, it shows us how to identify them through signs other than the falsehood of teaching itself. And the first sign the apostle gives is that false teachers serve their own appetites. Literally, Paul says that the teachers serve their bellies in Philippians 3. And he's talking here by way of metaphor to a lifestyle that reflects indulgence and egocentrism. Christian teachers are not prohibited from enjoying nice things, but they are prohibited from living however they want to live, from making their paycheck their chief end in their labor. Paul teaches elsewhere, men fit to fill the office of an elder will not be lovers of money in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. And the second sign of false teachers is smooth talk and flattery. This does not mean that pastors and teachers may not have, may not have gentle speech that people find pleasing. For scripture says that a gentle tongue is a tree of life, Proverbs 15, 4 says. What the apostle is condemning here is dishonest speech that is hidden by flattering comments and words that praise people for the sake of their approval, not because there is a genuine sentiment behind it. False teachers use words to attract and even retain others, not for the sake of Christ, but for their own sake. 
John Calvin says the preachers of the gospel have also their courtesy and their pleasing manner, but joined with honesty so that they neither soothe men nor with vain praises nor flatter their vices. But impostors allure men by flattery and spare and indulge their vices that they may keep them attached to themselves. Notice that. They keep them attached to themselves, Calvin says. They don't point them to Christ. They don't help them to grow in their understanding and skill of handling God's word and, and, of, and of good theology. They are just interested in a following, a platform, a voice. Uh, and, and we are seeing that today, by the way, all over the internet, from the New Apostolic Reformation to the Deliverance Ministry to matters on gender and sexuality. Notice that. What is their ultimate aim? What do they talk about the most? That's going to show, by the way, that's a biblical principle. What people talk about the most is what they value the most. We see that in Luke 6.45, which talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So notice that very clearly, brothers and sisters. Now, when it comes to false teaching, what matters is not really the form of the words spoken, but their content and the intent behind them. Sometimes truth must be presented with harsh words, but often it can be conveyed with gentleness. So similarly, words of praise do not have to be insincere. And whether we're teachers or not, we need to speak the tr- only the truth in love and let us do so with gentleness or firmness the occasion requires. You know, for some Christians, it's easier just to dismiss this entirely. I understand that as somebody who grew up in the church and was saved at the age of five by the grace of God. I understand that desire that you just want to be uh, where you're at and you and you just want to, you know, go to church. You want to read and study your Bible. You want to sit, understand preaching and theology. But guess what? Especially if you've grown up in the church, this really matters. Because you can too easily get comfortable in the church. You can too easily get into your, you know, your huddle of of people that, you know, you just want to be around and you just want to talk to them. But see, the Great Commission is a command to go make disciples. It's not to sit in a holy huddle in our local church. We gather together to hear the word, yes, to fellowship, yes, to do life with one another, yes, to enjoy one another, yes, to be accountable, but we scatter from the local church to go out into the world to make disciples in our vocation, in our job, in our homes, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our communities, in our, na- in our cities, in our nation for the glory of God. So the reason that we should care about false teachers and false pastors is they are leading people astray. It matters what's happening in your city with other churches. You should care about it. You should be familiar, familiarize yourself. What is happening in the church around me, uh, in the churches in my town? Are, are there solid churches where, you know, they may not, somebody might not like my church where I'm at under a biblically qualified pastor, but are there other churches where there are biblically qualified pastors and where they have, where they teach biblical doctrine and sound theological doctrine that the church has always taught? Or are there churches that aren't? And those are the ones also to let other people, you don't want to go here because guess what? They don't teach the Bible and they don't teach good theology that the church has taught. You know, there are sadly churches in my area, in the city in which I live in, in which I have to tell people, um, you should not go there. Um, you should not go to that church for any reason at all, uh, because they do not teach the Bible or they have a woman pastor or some other thing, uh, that is, that is equally bad. 
And and by the way, the woman pastor thing is a gateway. It really is. We have seen that over and over again. If you don't believe me, go study the history of the issue, especially in mainline denominations. Where you see a denomination goes towards women pastors, what you see is massive gender conf- uh, confusion on uh, about what the Bible says about one man and one woman as well, and then a, a deviation uh, from uh, you know biblical truth regarding what a man is and what a woman is, and even support for so-called gay Christianity and now transgenderism, and 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 it and it just boggles the mind because you see when you start abandoning the Bible, guess what happens? You have no foundation as Christians. We have an objective standard. For truth in a world that that grounds its whole system, its whole thought, its whole worldview in subjective experience, what I think, what I feel, that's the appeal, the allure of relativism, where people can say it's just my truth that matters. But that's why we as Christians need to make the case we do from God's word that God has spoken finally and fully and definitively. He has revealed himself to be known. Uh, God is a knowable God because God has revealed himself in the word. So we can know God. We can enjoy God. We can we can walk with the Lord. We can know the person and work of Christ. We can know the character. We can know the attributes of God. We, we can know God. We can grow in God's grace. We can trust the reliable, trustworthy, sufficient, clear, and binding word of God. And, and even there, that's why we stand against false teachers. That's why we stand against false pastors. That's why, because God's word, it teaches us to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3, to always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have, to, to do it with gentleness and respect. Speaking about correcting opponents, we're to correct opponents with gentleness. Second uh, uh, Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says, Why? Because gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Those things that Paul says in Galatians 5, through 23, these are things that the Lord, by His grace, through the work of the Spirit, is producing in our lives. So, I hope that this episode has explained to you and equipped you to, to understand why you shouldn't support false teachers, false pastors, why you should be continuing to read and to study and to meditate on the Word, and to be equipped to in your local church to to grow in your handling and skill of God's word. Podcasts are great, but they're not a substitute for the local church. My aim with this podcast is to be a resource, a help to your growth in the grace of God, a, grow, a help to your ministry, to your service, uh, to your fellowship with God's people in the local church, but not a replacement to it. So I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Equip You and Grace podcast. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.